0: Hello, and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast. It's Thursday, March the 25th. I'm Richard Woolley, editor in Reorg's London office, and these are the biggest stories of the week. The European primary market is particularly hot at the moment, with the equivalent of €22 billion being offered across high-yield bonds and leveraged loans. Issuers come from a range of industries, but the biggest deals are clustered around the tech, health and consumer discretionary sectors. One name in particular has been getting a lot of attention, German beauty retailer, Douglas, which is in the market with a loan and bond package worth over 2 billion euros. Yesterday, Douglas increased the size of its five-year senior secured notes to 1.33 billion euros from 1 billion previously and cut the size of its term loan offering to 750 million euros from 1.08 billion euros earlier in the week. It's also marketing a 300 million euro, five and a half year senior pick note. Now, regular listeners will remember the update we gave on the group's debt negotiations in January after a flurry of interest around its Christmas trading performance. We've now revisited the name in an exhaustive analysis of the new issuance and I spoke to Ben Kovachka about it.
1: The credit story that underpins Douglas 2.4 billion euro refinancing transaction is based on an extensive business transformation and is subject to significant execution risk. The deal is marketed on the back of 394.5 million euro EBITDA. This assumes a benefit of roughly 120 million euros from transformation measures that include 505 store closures, rent and personnel reductions, and group function savings. It is also based on pre-COVID-19 EBITDA, adjusted for changes in business and cost structures, and is subject to a number of assumptions. For context, Last 12 month adjusted EBITDA which includes COVID-19 adbacks was 250 million and unadjusted EBITDA was 112 million. Meanwhile, management, ad- management adjusted EBITDA in the deal before the transformation tailwinds was only 275 million. All of these are significantly lower than the pre-COVID-19 adjusted EBITDA that was in the 350 million area. Bringing all the transformation benefits up front ignores the path uh, to this figure and the associated cash burn, as well as the execution risks. In our forecast base case, we see financial year 2023 EBITDA at around 350 million, which is below the EBITDA marketed in the deal. Now, the EBITDA marketed in the deal is much more in line with our high case for that year. Up to this financial year, we project cash burn as the business recovers from COVID-19 and incurs costs related to the transformation. Our projected levered free cash flow generation of the business in 2023 Um, ranges from negative 5 million in a low case to around 40 million in the base case and 80 million in the high case. The low case assumes um, slow recovery as compared to the base case. Um, Leverage-wise, the high to base case projected range is um, 6.3 turns to 5.3 turns. It is important to note that the base case leverage here is still higher than the leverage that is being marketed in the deal That said, we see liquidity as sufficient to get through the cash-burning period, and once the business begins to generate cash following a successful transformation, uh, the story may become much more centered around the potential planned IPO and valuations for the business. Another aspect of the credit story is the online business. It has shown spectacular growth during COVID-19 and revenue reached the 1 billion euro mark on an LTM basis. The group is also growing a third-party marketplace platform sales in the last quarter amounted to 13 million euros only pushing the online story would likely help the company fetch a higher multiple in an ipo but we see the path to cash generation and executing the transformation as something that should be a more immediate focus furthermore as stores open there may be a slight normalization associated with the online sales though presumably online is going to be the focus of management going forward for now operations will continue to be hit by the pandemic In the first two months of 2021, sales were 31% lower year-over-year at 352 million euros, with a 58% decline in brick-and-mortar sales and 82% growth online. In the last week, Germany announced new restrictions which could see more stores closing. A lockdown is in place in certain parts of France, including Paris, and a lockdown in Poland has also been announced. For our full analysis, projections, valuation, and relative value commentary refer to our primary analysis.
0: Another topical name in our coverage is aircraft leasing company Nordic Aviation Capital. We recently reported that NAC is in discussions with its lenders about a new restructuring following its Irish scheme of arrangement last year. Reporter Thomas Baker has been following the company, so I asked him for some insight on why these discussions are needed and how they're progressing.
2: NAC needs to be restructured because of the ongoing impact of the COVID-19 crisis on its business and the wider aviation sector. The carrier's last financial report for the year ended June 30th, 2020 noted a 17.6% year-over-year fall in EBITDA to $685.9 million. Of course, those figures were only impacted by COVID-19 in earnest for a few months, so the need to restructure will only have grown since then due to ongoing travel restrictions and lockdowns. NAC completed an Irish scheme of arrangement last year which brought it a six-month standstill on interest, a nine-month standstill on debt amortisation and a 12-month deferral on final maturity bullet payments. However, the nine-month deferral period on debt amortisation is coming to an end. Successful vaccination programmes and the prospect of international travel returning is good news for NAC, but it's a long way off. The view in
0: the market is something more substantial is required. Just to pick up on these uh, upcoming amortisation payments what are the issues there and how straightforward are they to address?
2: The issue for NAC is from the end of April any excess cash the group has will start being used to pay on each of its facilities relevant amortisation. Obviously, NAC is reluctant to start making these payments from next month, so it's eager to get a forbearance agreement in place to buy more time. It's significant as the previous restructuring was predicated on a cash sweep mechanism which sees the repayment of amortisation over time. Luckily for NAC, it's in everyone's interests to reach an agreement on these upcoming amortisation payments, so it's expected to be secured without too many complications. Given the time frame, it is also likely to be agreed very soon.
0: Now, NAC is back in negotiations with its lenders, you know, only a year after its scheme. You mentioned that something more substantial could be required for the upcoming restructuring. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Yes, it will certainly be more comprehensive. The restructuring NAC is working on involves a variety of debt instruments, meaning any proposal is likely to be substantial. Its secured lenders this time have also split into two separate groups with different advisors and somewhat divergent interests. There are also disagreements about how large the group should be moving forward in regards to how many planes it has and how much new money should
0: be put into the business. Some of the shareholders, EQT and GIC, announced that they'll not be investing any further money in NAC after their uh, $60 million investment last year. This leaves Martin Moller as the most likely candidate to put new money into the business. But do you think he'll need a partner to do that?
2: We know Martin Moller is currently weighing up a potential investment in NAC, but it's less clear whether he would need to find a partner to make that move with. Though wealthy enough to provide a significant investment, Moller does not have the financial capacity of EQT or GIC. It's notable that another shareholder in NAC, Kirkby Invest, has been relatively quiet about future money proposals. However, it is uncertain what sums NAC may require, so we can only speculate as to whether Moller will ultimately require a partner to invest with. However, it is worth noting that any new money put into NAC will be to deleverage the business, as aircraft aren't viewed as great investments at the moment and NAC has money to cover ongoing costs. What's clear is Moller would represent a very different investment proposition to NAC, having been very involved in the business in the past, as its former chairman, and a significant figure in the aviation industry. When NAC announced in January that Moller was retiring from the board as part of its new governance structure, it was stated he would remain available on a consulting basis. So NAC definitely knows the value that Moller's involvement carries.
0: Just finally, another option that's being discussed is Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection for NAC's US subsidiaries. Do we have any idea what that would look like for the group?
2: Chapter 11 bankruptcy is certainly the least preferred choice for NAC, though the company is keeping its options open. When NAC was pursuing its 2020 Irish scheme of arrangement, they warned the court that it would file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the US if the scheme was not sanctioned. The company was advised at the time that the cost of a Chapter 11 filing would range from $60 million to $95 million. Such costs would inevitably reduce recoveries for creditors.
0: As always, there's more on each of these situations on the Reorg website, reorg.com, where you can read all of the in-depth analysis of the current goings-on in the primary market written by our financial and covenants analysts. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another Reorg Europe podcast, but until then... Stay safe and thank you very much for listening.